Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to join me in Psalm 119, and we'll look at verses 9 through 16 together. We'll read that, and then we'll look at the topic tonight in this study that is based off of the curriculum written by Stephen J. Nichols, distributed by Ligonier Ministries. I've heavily adapted it for our causes and for our purpose as a church, uh, but we're going to study this very important topic tonight of the authority of the Scripture and the inerrancy of the Bible. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we are very aware this evening that what we need is not a word from man. What society needs and what our world needs is not any cleverness of speech from mankind, but what we need is the power of your word. So Lord, would you speak to us tonight Would you speak to us through your word? Would your people uh, have great encouragement tonight as to why we can trust your word? And I pray you'd bless us tonight in this time that we have together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm always glad when we can talk upon the subject of the Bible and why we can trust the Bible. If you haven't been with us over the last three weeks, we have begin to unfold this question as to why we can trust the Bible. And uh, the world does not trust God's word. You know that. It's obvious they have no reverence for God's word. Those who claim to be leaders of God's people, uh, even this past week I'd seen prominent preachers, and perhaps this was out of context, but either way I've seen prominent preachers who seem to be unhitching themselves from the authority of Scripture. Uh, And so I don't know what the rest of the sermon was by this particular man, but this particular man, you can look up online. I won't utter his name here. I'm not going to go there. But a particular preacher had said, uh, made one singular point from his message to his church, uh, an evangelical church, was that that you should, uh, my understanding of it was, I should say, is that we should be careful in not just quoting the Bible as authority, uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't begin there because that carries no weight with the people of the world. And I would say uh, it doesn't matter what I have to say. What matters is what God has to say. And it doesn't matter whether or not the world believes it or not. We are to be like the prophets. We are to be those men and women who say 
Thus saith the Lord, and be those people who call upon God and his word. We began to look at this subject of why we can trust the Bible, and we saw this wonderful principle, this wonderful truth. It's just a glorious thing that we can hold on to, that God has even revealed himself to us at all. And last week we looked at why the Bible carries authority, and we looked at, at the words of the Bible as being inspired by God. God breathed. So the reason that this book carries authority is it's not like any other book that's written by mankind. These are God's words. They are God-breathed, God-inspired. And because it was breathed out by God, because it was written by God for us, it carries more weight than any other words of any other man. We looked at the doctrine of inspiration last week, and this week as we look at the concept of why the Bible carries authority, we'll look at the word inerrancy. Inerrancy, what is inerrancy? You hear me use this term often from the pulpit, but what does inerrancy mean? If, you, if God ever calls you away from First Baptist Church of West Memphis, I hope he never does, but if he ever calls you away from West Memphis and to another church and you don't hear that word from the pulpit, you ought to be a little concerned because the word inerrant is vitally important to the doctrines that we hold to. So what is inerrancy? Wayne Grudem in his book on systematic theology says, the inerrancy, the inerrancy of Scripture is that the Scriptures in the original manuscripts do not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Let me put it to you as a simple definition, something that we can all understand. The Bible always tells the truth. The Bible always tells the truth and never says a false statement. If you're taking notes tonight, that is our very first point tonight. Every word in the Bible is true. That's a good place to amen. Every word in the Bible is true. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Uh, ever since the beginning of time, it has been Satan's policy. It seems to be just uh, what he defaults to is he questions God's word to God's people. You will recall those statements in the garden. Did God really say? From the very beginning, Satan has wanted to cast doubt and, uh, and you know, really cast for God's people. He wants to cast doubt upon his word. He wants us to question, did God really say it? And I'm thankful that we have God's word written for us so that we can come to God's word, we can look at it, and we can say, yes, this is indeed what God has said. And when the enemy or when anyone else asks the question, did God really say, you should understand in your mind they sound an awful lot like someone else in Scripture. Every word of the Bible is true. When we say that this book is inerrant, I mean that it is without error. It is incapable of error, that the Bible always tells us the truth. Now, it does so even though the Bible may use ordinary language. Uh, ordinary language is what the term that I would use. Uh, the Bible is true even though it may use ordinary language, like measurements or, or numbers in the Bible. 
may not always seem precise, but they're always true. So, for example, let me just give you an example so you, you're not jumping off ship with me. If I were to say that right now we are standing about 60 feet from my office, that would be an approximately true statement, right? Do you know, do some of you know where my office is? Maybe about 60 feet. That, now, some of you, when I say that, you would pull out a ruler, right? You're going to tape measure it and you put your glasses up like that and you say, well, let's just make sure that it's like this. The Bible can use numbers such as, uh, uh, the, the Bible can use measurements and they can use numbers. I could say, hey, tonight we have a crowd of about 40, 50 people. I'm a Baptist preacher, so I'd say I'd round that up to 60, right? You got to get a nice even number there. But I could say that, and if, there, if I said there were 40 and there were actually 39 people, that would not be an untrue statement. You see, from, from, uh, there, there are times in Scripture where ordinary language is used, and it is not untrue. Let me give you another example. Joshua is taking the Israelites to move into northern Canaan. And they're going to uh, take over the promised land. And as they're about to move into northern Canaan, an army amasses up against God's people. Joshua 11, chapter 4, uh, records this event. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore. Now, uh, it is not meant to be understood that if you counted up all the sand on the seashore and then you went throughout the ranks of all the armies that were amassing against Israel, that those would be the same number. What he's using here is this language that we understand. When he says that the soldiers came, they were like, like the numbers of the sand on the seashore, what does he mean? There's a lot of soldiers over there. There's a lot of them gathered up. The Bible is true, even though the Bible may use phenomenolo phenomenological language. Ooh, I got it out the second time. Phenomenolo phenomenological language. Say, Josh, what is that? Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, uh, if if you've kept up with uh, modern science for uh, I don't know the last couple hundred of years, you would know that the sun doesn't actually rise, does it? No, uh, it, from our perspective, it most certainly does, but the earth rotates on its axis, and as it rotates on its axis, the sun comes into our view where we are here on planet earth, but from our perspective, the sun rises. You see, when the Bible uses terms like the sun rising, that does not then make the Bible untrue, because from the perspective of the writer, from the perspective of Human beings, what does the sun do in the morning? It rises. What does it do in the evening? It sets. When God uses this language in the Bible, it's not, you know, I've heard people say there's a, a, a famous atheist uh, by the name of Sam Harris who said that if God really wrote a book, would you not think that it would contain something phenomenal, some scientific breakthrough that he would give us? Right? And that's a lot of 
presuppositions on his behalf. It's a lot of his imposing upon God what he would rather God reveal uh, to us. But what he means when he says that is he believes that there are things in the Bible that are scientifically inaccurate and that had God written this in the 21st century, he would have corrected those things. But my friends, what we're looking at is the issue of perspective. When, the, when God says the sun rises and sets, that is not making his word null and void. It's not making it not true. From the perspective of those of us on earth, the sun indeed rises and sets. The Bible is true even though at times you will read that there are, there are loose and, and somewhat free quotations, all right? So if I said, hey guys, let's, uh, uh, in a few minutes, we're all going to dismiss and go meet at Pizza Hut. Well, we're not going to do that because Pizza Hut's closed up, right? Uh, and, then, and then you were to say, when you're walking out, hey, we got out early. Uh, Josh said, uh, let's all go hang out at Pizza Hut, right? That would not be my exact words. It's not my exact words. But that does not mean that what you have said is untrue. Let me give you a biblical example. I love looking at the harmony of the Gospels. Uh, one of the events that happens in the Gospels, I think, illustrates this really well. Matthew chapter 26 and verses 8 through 9. Matthew chapter 26 and verses 8 through 9 record the account of Jesus before he goes to the cross, but at the beginning of that Passion Week, as he is at Mary and Martha's house. And uh, the perfume bottle has been broken. Mary is washing Jesus' feet with that and with her hair. Matthew 26, 8 and 9. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Now, when you read this account in Mark, it says the same thing, but it sounds just a little bit different. Mark chapter 14 and verses 4 through 5. There were some who said them to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. All right? See, the quotations there are a little bit different, but are they saying the same thing? They're saying the exact same thing. What about John chapter 12, verses 4 through 5? We learn a little bit more about who's prompting this conversation behind the scenes. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? You know, I will have, I have had close friends throughout the years who have come to the conclusion that they would say the, the Bible is uh, not inerrant. And they would say because they look at these and they see differences and I say they're saying the same thing. They're saying the same thing. There are no quotation marks in, uh, in Greek. There are, those punctuations are not really there. And so uh, uh, what is intended here is to convey this point of what they were saying and what was going on in the moment. And even though, and by the way, I would say that the Gospels are written to be read together, Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we read all of them together, we get this beautiful, full picture of the ministry of Jesus on earth. The Bible is inerrant, even as God uses ordinary language. By the way, isn't that wonderful? God can use our language to, I don't want to say our, he can use the language that he gave to us 
to express truths about his, about his, himself, that God can use, even though he knows all things, he can, he can, uh, uh, use, he can write his word to us, even through all of these things. His word is inerrant, even though the grammar in, throughout the Bible is different. You look at one book, uh, if you look at Paul's writings, you're going to have these long sentences, right? It's obvious that Paul was an educated man, and you read other passages of the scripture, and uh, it's not as consistent. You read the book of Revelation, and you'll even see uh, uh, plurals and singulars that, that you might ask some questions about. But, but God's word is true, even though the grammar may, and the styles may be different throughout all of the books as God used the different men throughout time to pen his word to us. All of this, this just demonstrates to us God's sovereignty, how, uh, I want to say huge, but that word doesn't do it, how grand God is, that he can use fallen men and broken words to express to us real truth about who he is. Our first point was that every word in the Bible is true. Our second point is this, the Bible is incapable of being or containing anything that is untrue. The Bible is incapable of being or containing anything that is untrue. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Now, I know you keep saying, well, Josh, we're studying why we can trust the Bible, and you keep referencing the Bible. Well, the Bible has that kind of authority, doesn't it? Right? You can't do that with me. You can't defend me uh, necessarily in that way. But with God's word, we can rely upon God's word to tell us more about itself. It is the ultimate authority. Who else would I go to to learn about God's word? Right? This is God's word. He's the one who has written it. It attests to itself, And of his word, God says he is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't change his mind. If he says it, he will do it. He, if he has spoken it, he will fulfill it. Now, there are many people uh, today who would claim that the Bible is infallible. Uh, but they would not go as far to use the word inerrant. And they did it for several reasons. I'd say number one, there are a group of people who would say that the scripture is only authoritative for faith and for practice. That the scripture is, is intended to work on our hearts, they would say, but it's not intended for the rest of things. So they would say that so that they could do away with silly stories and myths that they would say like the flood or like all of these other, other things that seem so grand and beyond us. And so they would say the scripture really is only good for spiritual use. And, and most certainly the Bible is good for spiritual use. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verses 16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is true that the Bible has authority for faith and practice. But I want you to know that, there is, that the Bible is incapable of error in any other category. 
The Bible is incapable of that, and the Bible at no point affirms anything that is wrong. There have been bad interpretations of the Bible that people have used that as time has gone on, we have seen, we have seen things not to be true. But the Bible never affirms anything that is not true. And if it did, it would allow uh, for, uh, uh, and, and, and if it did, uh, this would, everything would fall apart. And, and again, some people prefer the term infallible to inerrant because of that. Because they want to say it's good for the church, but it's not good for the world. It's not good for the practical things. And to that we would say Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. You see, when we look at God's word as being infallible, as being inerrant, we look at a word that is on every level right and correct. God's word is inerrant. Some would say that it's only authoritative for faith and practice. And others would say that the Bible uh, does contain some things that are untrue, and that's by prophets using accommodating language. That is, that prophets or that God intentionally lied in Scripture so that the people of its time wouldn't be too overwhelmed by the truths that God was unloading on them. But I want you to know, God has given us his word. He has given us his word that contains nothing that is untrue, everything that is true, everything that we need to know about God on this planet, everything that we need to know about salvation and righteousness is contained in this book, and his Holy Spirit illuminates the truths of this book in our lives. Psalm 119 and verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. My friends, we, have, we can have great trust in God's word because it is the only word that is inerrant. It's the only word that contains no errors. Uh, I, write a mess, I write an article for our messenger every week, uh, and I have a team of staff members who come up behind me and try to clean up all of my mistakes as I write them down. Uh, I mean, I've got a good, uh, we, we've got a great staff here at First Baptist Church of West Memphis. We're a team, and all of them are, are right there. I mean, they do not look at my sermon manuscripts. And so they, my sermon manuscripts would never be published because no one would ever want them, right? But also, they contain a lot of errors. The scripture is completely, 100% true. Every word. And it is incapable of error. Now, again, why is this good? We have a book. We have a book that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, that shows us everything that we need to see and know, uh, that, that draws us closer to him. We have a book. And oftentimes the church is more content with man-made philosophies. And the church would readily abandon the scripture for man-made philosophies or good ideas that mankind has come up with. And to that I say, 
we have a book that we can cling to, that we must adhere to. When we follow God's word, we have blessings. When we stray from it, we have curses. I'm glad that we can come to God's word that is infallible, that is inerrant. And I'm thankful that I get to be involved and be a part of a church family that believes and trusts so deeply in this word that God has given to us. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word this evening, how we have studied tonight, how your word is inerrant. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless us this evening. Father, let us cling to these truths, hold on to them. Uh, I pray that... uh, I pray that we would be people who not only believe with our mind, but in our hearts that your word is without error and that we are not people who constantly impose our ideas on your word. We're not people who constantly put ourselves into your word, misinterpreting your word. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit uh, that you would make scripture clear to us in our hearts and help us to live the way that you'd have for us to live. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.